news from the following publications. The Voice, Blavity News, Ebony, The Root, The Grio, and News One. Today we'll begin with an article titled WSU, Ascension via Christie Affiliation will bring students into hospital-based classrooms, written by the staff of the Community Voice, May 26, 2023. Wichita State University's College of Health Professions and Ascension via Christie's Wichita Hospitals have created a unique affiliation that will bring students from the School of Nursing and the School of Health Scientists into the hospitals providing them close access to working professionals in a teaching hospital setting. Ascension via Christie's Hospitals will provide office and classroom space in the hospitals, while the affiliation will provide a framework for WSU and Ascension via Christie to help fuel the pipeline of trained healthcare professionals entering the field and enhance opportunities for current and future Ascension via Christie Associates and WSU students. This collaboration connects our students with advanced professional opportunities, addresses the need for qualified healthcare workers in our state, and further establishes Wichita as a health care for our region. It also increases access and affordability to working healthcare professionals looking to enhance their education through Wichita State, said Wichita State Provost and Executive Vice President Shirley Lefevre, L-E-F-E-V-E-R, in a joint press release from WSU and Extension via Christie. Kevin Strecker, S-T-R-E-C-K-E-R, Ministry Market Leader for Ascension via Christie, said the affiliation aligns well with the healthcare system's mission and efforts to recruit and retain the associates needed to ensure high-quality, compassionate care. Wichita State President Rick Muma, M-U-M-A, says WSU is committed to serving the community through this and similar healthcare initiatives, such as the Wichita Biomedical Campus, a plan by WSU, WSU Tech, and the University of Kansas to build an approximately 470,000 square foot, $300 million shared biomedical campus in the heart of downtown Wichita. Ascension via Christie and its associates will benefit from having an expanded pool of qualified healthcare professionals from which to recruit many of whom will have trained with them in an on-site clinical rotations and other learning opportunities. Qualified Ascension via Christie Associates also will have expanded access to professional development and interprofessional and continuing education, including preferred RN to BSN tuition and fees starting in the fall of 2023 semester in College of Health Professions programs starting in the fall 2023 semester, the opportunity to serve in adjunct faculty roles. This article was titled, WSU, Ascension via Christie Affiliation 
will bring students into hospital-based classrooms. Written by the staff at the Community Voice, May 26, 2023. The next article is titled, Tina Turner, Unstoppable Superstar, whose hits included, What's Love Got to Do With It? Dead at 83. Written by Associated Press, The Voice, May 24, 2023. New York Associated Press. Tina Turner, the unstoppable singer and stage performer who teamed with husband Ike Turner for a dynamic run of hit records and live shows in the 1960s and 70s and survived her horrifying marriage to triumph in middle age with the chart topping What's Love Got to Do With It, has died at 83. Turner died Tuesday after a long illness in her home in Kuznach, K-U-S-N-A-C-H-T, near Zurich, Switzerland, according to her manager. She became a Swiss citizen a decade ago. She was truly an enormously talented performer and singer, tweeted Mick Jagger, whom Turner helped in shaping his own dynamic stage presence. She was inspiring, warm, funny, and generous. She helped me so much when I was young, and I will never forget her. Few stars traveled so far. She was born Anna May Bullock in a segregated Tennessee hospital and spent her latter years on a 260,000 square foot estate on Lake Zurich and overcame so much. Physically battered, emotionally devastated, and financially ruined by her 20-year relationship with Ike Turner, she became a superstar on her own in her 40s at a time when most of her peers were on their way down and remained a top concert draw for years after. With admirers ranging from Jagger to Beyonce to Mariah Carey, Turner was one of the world's most popular entertainers, known for a core of pop, rock, and rhythm and blues favorite, Proud Mary, Nutbush City Limits, River Deep, Mountain High, and the hits she had in her 80s, among them What's Love Got to Do With It, We Don't Need Another Hero, and a cover of Al Green's Let's Stay Together. Her trademarks included a growing contralto that might smolder or explode, her bold smile and strong cheekbones, her palette of wigs and the muscular quick-stepping legs she did not shy from showing off. She sold more than 150 million records worldwide, won 12 Grammys, was voted along with Ike into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1991 and on her own in 2021 and was honored at the Kennedy Center in 2005 with Beyonce and Oprah Winfrey among those praising her. Her life became the basis for a film, a Broadway musical, and an HBO documentary in 2021 that she called her public farewell. Until she left her husband and revealed their backstory, she was known as the voracious onstage foil of the steady-going Ike, the leading lady of the Ike and Tina Turner review. Ike was billed first and ran the show choosing the material, the arrangements, the backup singers. 
They toured constantly for years, in part because Ike was often short on money and unwilling to miss a concert. Tina Turner was forced to go on with bronchitis, with pneumonia, with a collapsed right lung. Other times, in the cause of her misfortune, was Ike himself. As she recounted in her memoir, I, Tina, Ike began hitting her not long after they met in the 1950s and only grew more vicious. Terrified both of being with Ike and being without him, she credited her emerging Buddhist faith in the mid-1970s with giving her a sense of strength and self-worth, and she finally left in early July 1976. The Ike and Tina Turner Review was scheduled to open a tour marking the country's bicentennial when Tina snuck out of their Dallas hotel room with just a mobile credit card and 36 cents while Ike slept. She hurried across a nearby highway, narrowly avoiding a speeding truck, and found another hotel. Turner was among the first celebrities to speak candidly about domestic abuse, becoming a heroine to battered women and a symbol of resilience to all. Ike Turner did not deny mistreating her, although he tried to blame Tina for their troubles. When he died in 2007, a representative for his ex-wife said simply, Tina is aware that Ike passed away. Little of this was apparent to the many Ike and Tina fans. The Turners were a hot act for much of the 1960s and into the 70s, evolving from bluesy ballads such as A Fool in Love and It's Gonna Work Out Fine to flashy covers of Proud Mary and Come Together and other rock songs that brought them crossover success. They opened for the Rolling Stones in 1966 and 1969 and were seen performing a lustful version of Otis Redding's I've Been Loving You Too Long in the 1970 Stones documentary, Gimme Shelter. Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett gave Oscar-nominated performances as Ike and Tina in the 1993 movie, What's Love Got to Do With It?, based on I, Tina. But she would say that reliving her years with Ike was so painful, she could not bring herself to watch the movie. Ike and Tina's reworking of Proud Mary, originally a tight, mid-tempo hit for Credence Clearwater Revival, helped define their sexual aura. But by the end of the 1970s, Turner's career seemed finished. She was 40 years old, her first solo album had flopped, and her live shows were mostly confined to the cabaret circuit. Desperate for work and money, she even agreed to tour in South Africa when the country was widely boycotted because of its racist apartheid regime. I looked at him and thought, you just beat me for the last time, you sucker, she recalled in her memoir. Rock stars helped bring her back, Rod Stewart convinced her to sing Hot Legs with him on Saturday Night Live, and Jagger, who had openly borrowed some of Turner's onstage moves, sang Honky Tonk Women with her during the Stones' 1981-82 tour. At a listening party for his 1983 album, Let's Dance, David Bowie told guests that Turner was his favorite female singer. More popular in England at the time 
than in the United States, she recorded a raspy version of Let's Stay Together at EMI's Abbey Road Studios in London. By the end of 1983, Let's Stay Together was a hit throughout Europe and on the verge of breaking in the States. An A&R man at Capitol Records, John Carter, urged the label to sign her up and make an album. Among the material presented to her was a reflective pop reggae ballad co-written by Terry Brighton, B-R-I-T-T-E-N, and Graham Lyle, and initially dismissed by Tina as wimpy. I just thought it was some old pop song, and I didn't like it, she said later of What's Love Got to Do With It. Turner's Private Dancer album came out in May 1984, sold more than 8 million copies, and featured several hit singles, including the title song and Better Be Good to Me. It won four Grammys, among them Record of the Year for What's Love Got to Do With It, the song that came to define the clear-eyed image of her post Ike years. Rare moments of leniency from Ike, Tina did enjoy success on her own. She added an explosive lead vocal to Phil Spector's Titanic production of River Deep Mountain High, a flop in the U.S. when released in 1966, but a hit overseas and eventually a standard. She was also featured as the Acid Queen in the 1975 film version of the Who's rock opera, Tommy. More recent film work included Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and a cameo in What's Love Got to Do With It. Turner had two sons, Craig with saxophonist Raymond Hill and Ronald with Ike Turner. Craig Turner was found dead in 2018 of an apparent suicide. In a memoir published later in 2018, Tina Turner, My Love Story, she revealed that she had received a kidney transplant from her second husband, former EMI record executive, Erwin Bach, B-A-C-H. Tina's life seemed an argument against marriage, but her life with Bach was a love story the younger Tina would not have believed possible. They met in the 1980s when she flew to Germany for record promotion and he picked her up at the airport. He was more than a decade younger than her, the prettiest face, she said of him in the HBO documentary, and the attraction was mutual. She wed Bach in 2013, exchanging vows at a civil ceremony in Switzerland. It's that happiness that people talk about, Turner told the press at the time. When you wish for nothing, when you can finally take a deep breath and say everything is good. Associated Press writer Hilary Fox contributed to this report. This article was titled, Tina Turner, Unstoppable Superstar, whose hits included What's Love Got to Do With It, Dead at 83, AP, The Voice, May 24th, 2023. The next article is titled, Bronnie James, B-R-O-N-N-Y, USC Commitment Results in Unprecedented Logistics Increased Security VIP entrance by Melissa Wells Blavity, May 26, 2023. The 18-year-old eldest son of Lakers star and four-time NBA champion LeBron James is set to enter his first year of college 
at the University of Southern California this fall. With Bronny James as a new commit to their men's basketball program, national attention and hyped scrutiny have USC taking extreme measures to prepare for the anticipated buzz that will accompany his presence in the 2023-24 season. This year, to contend with the star power, the school could create a separate entrance for celebrities and other VIPs who want to watch Bronny and the USC men's basketball. ESPN's Myron Medcalf, M-E-D-C-A-L-F, reported Thursday. It also plans to adjust security measures for players as general attendance increases. The Sierra Canyon High graduate will surely be an attraction, even without the fame attached to his superstar father. According to 247's sports composite rankings, Bronny is considered a five-star recruit. He is also the class of 2023's number 21 player, the number five combo guard, and the number four player from California. The projected 2024 NBA lottery pick per ESPN, number one ranked prospect Isaiah Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R, and four-star recruit Ariton Page, A-R-R-I-N-T-E-N, make up an intriguing freshman class, sure to make home games one of the hottest tickets in town. The attention calls for very intentional proceedings by school officials, local police, and private security personnel to protect Bronny's on-campus experience. There is an added tier here, an added level for sure with the family ties Bronny comes with and the friends that not only he has, but that his family has, and the following could follow him and come to games on any given night. Craig Kelly, USC's chief marketing officer and associate athletic director, told ESPN, it's up to us to prepare. Despite joining a class already inclusive of the children of celebrities, politicians, and well-known athletes, Bronny is a basketball royal family member, likely to draw crowds in a sport not known for hosting players with security details such as Bronny's. Basketball-wise, you just need that big name to come there and bring that attention, and he's the perfect person for that. Chicago Bulls star and former USC standout DeMar DeRozan said on Paul George's podcast P. I think the way he comes in, the way he'll handle it, and the attention he's going to bring, I think it's going to push USC to another level that we haven't seen, he added. It's up in the air whether his 38 legendary father will continue to compete at the highest levels of the NBA to achieve his dream to one play with Bronny or finally leave the game this offseason. Regardless, the spotlight on Bronny's collegiate career will persist, leaving USC no choice but to prepare now for the intrigue and anticipation he will bring. This article is titled, Bronny James, USC Commitment Results in Unprecedented Logistics Increase Security VIP Entrance by Melissa Wells, 
Blavity News, May 26, 2023. The next article is on the cover of Ebony titled, Under the Sea and Above It. Halle Bailey was made for this moment. Written by Kayla Greaves, G-R-E-A-V-E-S, the May cover of Ebony 2023. Some say our destiny is written in stone. Others believe we craft our own future. For the Little Mermaid star, Halle Bailey, her remarkable path from child phenom to Hollywood actress might be the result of both. On May 26, the actress and singer-songwriter is set to make her big screen debut as Ariel in Disney's live-action remake of the animated classic. It's a role some might not have anticipated for a performer like Bailey, a young Black woman with natural long flowing locks, but one that she was, without a doubt, destined to play. I just feel like this is all part of God's plan for me, Bailey tells Ebony. The Little Mermaid is the story of a beautiful mermaid, Ariel, the youngest daughter of King Triton, who longs to learn more about the world beyond the sea. She ends up falling in love with a handsome prince, and she makes a deal with an evil sea witch so that she can experience life on land. However, Ariel ends up placing her life and her father's kingdom in jeopardy. The Disney film is an exploration of living life between two worlds and the misunderstandings others have about each of them, something to which Bailey can completely relate. A little after 5.30 in Los Angeles, where Bailey is calling from, she's in the car, presumably on her way to yet another meeting or rehearsal. With all that's going on in her life, from the upcoming movie premiere to working on new music and starring in a remake of The Color Purple, set to be released at the end of the year, it would be easy to assume Bailey might be feeling a little overwhelmed. However, the past few years have been a time of evolution for the star, one that's left her feeling unstoppable in many regards. In the entertainment industry can be difficult. When young performers are forced to mature early, they're often left feeling robbed of their childhood and might yearn for it well into adulthood. But despite having covered Beyonce's songs on YouTube alongside her sister, Chloe, and having landed a few small TV roles, all before becoming a teenager, the 23-year-old Haley realizes she was one of the lucky ones. She got to live out her dreams and still be a kid. I've always been shielded by my friends and my family, Bailey shares. They'd always protect me and put this fort around me. However, this also meant the star had yet to really carve out her own path on her own terms. But the opportunity to star in The Little Mermaid, which began filming in early 2021 in the midst of the pandemic, unexpectedly gave her the chance to have full autonomy over the next phase of her journey. It was the first thing I did by myself independently, reveals Bailey. I had to move across the world. Suddenly, I was in London, and I was by myself. It really forced me to grow up. Without her family physically by her side, during one of the most unsettling times in recent history, Bailey could easily have cowered and retreated back to the U.S. 
but she knew there was a reason she had been chosen to play Ariel. So she opted to stay put and embrace the challenge, and she looked to her big sister, Chloe, who was also stepping out on her own that year as a solo musician for direction on coming into her own. My sister's guidance and her amazing ability to just be herself and not be scared or afraid was the best example that I could have had. This was all she needed to let go of fear and self-doubt when it came to embracing what was about to come, a new level of stardom. I had to really snap myself into shape and be like, okay, Hallie, you actually can do this on your own. That doesn't mean it was easy. Long days on set, many of which were spent in a water tank, hours of hair and makeup, and running to and from various locations across London and Italy can be exhausting and enough to push any newcomer past their limit. The whole filming experience was insane. It was the most intense, excruciatingly beautiful experience in my life. I mean, physically, mentally, all of the above, the actress admits. But once I got through it, I was like, wow, I was really impressed with myself because I'd never done something like that before. The funny thing is, whether or not she realized it at the time, Bailey had been preparing for this role her whole life. And now it's time for the rest of the world to bear witness to her next chapter. Questions and answers by Ebony with Hallie Bailey. Ebony, you grew up swimming and loving the water, sometimes even pretending to be Ariel as you were playing in the pool. Did you ever reflect on those moments as you were filming and thought it was Kismet? Hallie Bailey, my sister and I would always play mermaid in the pool. But what's funny was our first mixtape was called The Two of Us. I think we put it out when I was 15 or something. And on the cover of it, I'm wearing my favorite mermaid blanket. It's like a mermaid tail. Looking back, I'm like, that's so weird. In a way, it was coincidence. But really, it was the universe or God giving me a hint. Both you and Brandy have made history as black Disney princesses. Did you study her career and portrayal as Cinderella as you were preparing to film? Absolutely. I remember Brandy's 1997 movie, Cinderella, was one of the first films I saw with a black princess. It was so monumental. It changes your whole perspective as a young black woman, how you feel about yourself, what you think you can do, and the possibilities the world has to offer. She's the blueprint for all of the black princesses to come. Let's talk about your own professional evolution. You've gone from child star to Hollywood sensation. What's one major high and one major low along the journey? And what lesson did you learn from each instance? I think one major high would definitely be when my sister and I were nominated for Grammys. We sang Where Is the Love by Donny Hathaway and Roberta Flack. And that was actually the performance that got me noticed by Little Mermaid director Rob Marshall. It was confirmation for me that my own abilities and belief in myself is enough. It was always other people telling me, you can do it, you can do it. But recently, especially after I finished filming, I finally felt that within myself. I believed in myself for the first time. The lowest, which I guess isn't that low, 
is being in the public eye and having so many comments thrown at you on what people think you should or should not do, who you should surround yourself with. I think sometimes when you're in the public eye from such a young age, people forget that you're human. They forget that comments about your life can hurt your feelings. But I have to shift my focus off of other people's opinions and the naysayers and the noise and just silence it. I realize that when I step away from it, I feel 100% better about myself. But it can't be easy to deal with people saying things about you that are completely untrue. It's been a really big, beautiful lesson for me in terms of patience. I've had to learn to control myself and control my thoughts and control my tongue. As a human, when you see people say these things about you, immediately you want to defend yourself. But I've just had to realize that it doesn't matter. The position that I'm in, this movie, this role, is way bigger than me. The impact it's going to have on future generations and our generation now is just so important. It's making a lot of people proud. That overshadows all the negativity that might be out there. Ebony, very true. Do you think Black Ariel is something you needed to see as a child? Oh yeah, absolutely. But what I love about today is that it's normalized. Somebody told me the other day, this generation of kids are not even going to know the first version of The Little Mermaid. Their first version of Ariel is you. I also love that there's so much black diversity on screen now. There was a time when we barely see locks and now we have a Disney princess with them, which has never happened before. It was super important for me to have my natural hair in this film. I was really grateful to Rob Marshall because he wanted to keep my locks. It's always important to have somebody co-sign. I've had my locks since I was five, so they're a huge part of who I am. We need to be able to see ourselves. We need to be able to see our hair on big screens like this so that we know that it's beautiful and more than acceptable. Let's talk about what's coming up for you. Aside from The Little Mermaid, you're going to be playing Nettie in The Color Purple. What can you tell me about the project? I'm so excited to be playing young Nettie in The Color Purple. The film has meant a lot to me for a very long time. It's a black family staple. I also got a chance to write an original song for the film. It's been really cool to incorporate my artistry into this new world of acting. I'm just so grateful to be part of the film and to be on set with legends and people I'm such fans of, like Fantasia or Taraji P. Henson. I cannot wait for people to see it. I think they'll love it. I love that you're getting to flex different creative muscles. For a long time, we were all told to stay in our lane but people are really embracing being multi-hyphenates these days. What helps you lean into exploring your many talents? I love to do whatever makes me feel good and to learn and grow in my artistry. As a creative person, you can have several outlets, whether it's painting or singing or acting. Now that acting has become this thing for me, it's very therapeutic. I'm learning a lot about myself through the characters I'm playing, even with Nettie. She's a very headstrong individual, and she doesn't take no for an answer. I end up trying to adopt these characteristics and incorporate them into who I am as a young woman. 
I'm 23 now, and I still feel like I'm learning who I am every single day. Ebony, you've got a lot going on. Are you ever able to embrace moments of stillness and slowness? Absolutely. I find I love to be quiet sometimes. I've never had a problem with being able to take a break and step away. I find that it's essential to my growth as an individual. When I travel or I go somewhere, I just go to the ocean and do things like that. I love Hawaii so much. It's so dreamy and nature is amazing. I have to refuel myself, especially in this industry. If you go, 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 it can sometimes be unhealthy. Your life is a whirlwind right now, but have you taken a moment to realize the impact the Little Mermaid is going to have on your career? I don't think so. It's funny because my sister will tell you that out of everyone in my family, I've always been very shy and a bit more awkward. Being on my own and having all these eyes on me for this movie has really been an interesting experience. It's been exciting. I am grateful for the praise I do get. But at the same time, it's also just a weird thing to be experiencing. There are moments when I realize what's going on. I think I'm still learning how to digest it all, but I try not to let any of this get to me because none of it really matters. At the end of the day, what matters is that you lead with love and a good heart. So that's what I'm trying to do. This article is on the cover of, of May's Ebony 2023, titled Under the Sea and Above It. Halle Bailey was made for this moment by Kayla Reeves, photos by Keith Major for Ebony Media. The next article is titled, Most Positive Detroit Grad Receives Over $1.7 Million in Scholarship Offers. Written by Melissa Wells, Blavity, May 26, 2023. Tatiana Alves, T-A-T-Y-A-N-A-A-L-V-E-S-17, is known for her sunny outlook and happy demeanor. This most positive attitude that she was voted for having by her peers has driven her success, which has seen this graduating high school senior receive an impressive college scholarship haul of $1.7 million in offers. I just want other people to thrive, the Detroit native said. Being positive helped me find my purpose, and I think I've made an influence on a lot of people. The college-bound student initially stumbled across her K-12 entrance examination school in search of an academic challenge in 2019. She eventually answered that call at the School of Mary Grove, M-A-R-Y-G-R-O-V-E, which promotes a commitment to developing critical thinkers and community-minded citizens who have the skills and knowledge to be makers and leaders in the 21st century. Alvis and 94 other high school seniors make up the first graduating class. Our school isn't as well known, given that it's new, she told the Detroit Free Press. It's pretty cool to make our name known, Alvis added in an interview with NBC affiliate WDIV-TV. The incoming Eastern Michigan University freshman will be a business administration major when she starts this fall. I aspire to be an entrepreneur just so I can live life comfortably 
and give back to my community, Alva said. The outgoing senior found herself in a dark space during her sophomore year due to the rough transition to online schooling through the pandemic. Applying positivity to her goals became life-changing for her. Soon enough, she had earned a 4.0 GPA, obtained her driver's license, and gotten a job at a local CVS as a sales associate, all of which increased her confidence and independence per the outlet. Her mother, Aquanetta Wyndham, A-C-Q-U-A-N-E-T-T-A, can't help but boast of her first baby going to college, according to the Free Press. I'm so proud of her, Wyndham said of her daughter. She's exceeded all expectations. As for the abundance of scholarship offers she received, the Detroit teen revealed actively launching her scholarship search in earnest when she was a junior, chalking up some of her success to a micro-scholarship site she discovered through a friend on TikTok Raise Me. According to WDIV-TV, however, Alvis has opted out of using her scholarship money. This is because her education is already paid for, thanks to Detroit Promise, a tuition-free path to college, credentials eligible at 26 different Michigan colleges. At the end of the day, Alvis knows her story will serve as an inspiration to others, so she has her own advice for students. Stay connected to those who have taken an interest in your future. Exhaust all resources and assistance available. Stay locked into your scholarship search and apply positivity to your goals by staying present in the moment. Everybody always worried about their future. I would say stay present because when you take care of the present, you take care of the past and the future, the 17-year-old said. This article is titled, most positive Detroit grad receives over $1.7 million in scholarship offers by Melissa Wells, Blavity, May 26, 2023. The next article is titled, Notes on Faith, Jesus is on the Main Line, and so is your therapist, written by Reverends Alicia Lola Jones and Calvin Taylor Skinner, The Griot, May 28, 2023. Recognizing Memorial Day and May as Mental Health Awareness Month, a recent episode of The Griot's Dear Culture podcast featured host Panama Jackson conversing with Tanya Oxendine, O-X-E-N-D-I-N-E, and Wilton Williamson, of the Wounded Warrior Project to discuss veterans' mental health. The trio agreed that there's a particularly intraracial resistance in the African dysphoria to pursuing professional counseling services. If you can't pray it away, black people don't want no parts of it usually, Jackson commented. We are not big on therapy, or if God ain't your therapist, then get them off the line. The podcast commentary called us into a conversation about maintaining a faith enhanced by therapy. We have to admit, Panama was spot on when he talked about the prevalent 
intercultural attitudes towards mental health wellness he saw while growing up. Our people have faced systemic societal barriers throughout history, making it difficult to conceive of, achieve, and maintain solid wellness practices that heal our minds, bodies, and souls. With one in four American adults dealing with a diagnosable mental issue, the common issue in our society, and arguably an underlining cause of health issue, African Americans disproportionately and arguably an underlying cause of myriad health issues African Americans disproportionately face is due to mismanagement of stress and trauma. According to the American Psychological Association, we are 20% more likely to report serious psychological distress than our white counterparts. Yet among Black Americans, only 25% seek mental health treatment. Several factors contribute to that lack of engagement, such as a pervasive lack of access to resources. However, what cannot be ignored is that stress and trauma mismanagement is detrimental to the average person, let alone those of us who are marginalized or need targeted attention. Instead, many of us have relied on hiding behind a facade, but dressing in our Sunday best when we feel a mess doesn't cut it. We are in crisis, family. Prayer is a bomb, but it is also a primer, a primer for more profound work. Attitudes within our religious circles that entirely reject professional mental health care as a spiritual practice are dangerous. As married, trained theologians who both grew up as pastor's children, we have firsthand experience with fellow faith leaders who avoid discussing mental health or seeking psychological help out of fear of being perceived as inadequate or improper spiritual leadership. However, whether in the pews or the secular world, attunement to those needs can save lives. A conversation about asserting what stress and grief look like is one we need to have, as evidenced by the responses to a recent tweet by Pastor West of Baltimore's Faith Empowered Ministries, in which he seemed to encourage using prayer as therapy instead of opening up to someone. Although some comments endorsed the rejection of therapy in favor of prayer, it was refreshing to see many commenters acknowledge that we can benefit from Jesus and a therapist too. That engagement reveals that there may be a significant and long overdue shift towards embracing faith and therapy as companions. The Black church has long functioned as our clearinghouse for the African-American community's issues. Accordingly, that institution must be where we focus our attention on building a new type of sanctuary within. And when we take a closer look, models of prayer working in tandem with therapy already exist. Imagine the Black church getting past the stigma of mental health services 
and becoming critical in creating a pipeline for developing faith-centered holistic counseling. By engaging in open and honest communication with the therapist, Cheryl A. Clark, a licensed marriage and family therapist, reminds us individuals can ensure that their faith is honored and integrated appropriately within the therapeutic process. To be sure, prayer is an essential aspect of one's spiritual life. It can be a catch-all phrase for meditation, contemplation, silence, and other centering practices. When understood correctly, prayer enhances our connection to the divine through listening more than merrily speaking. In that time of introspection and stillness, the personal homework provided in therapy can take hold. In this Mental Health Awareness Month and for life, our desire is for our people to embrace both a robust prayer life and the opinion of mental health therapy to achieve optimum holistic well-being. May we be patient and diligent as we walk alongside our family, friends, and community who desire help. And may we encourage them to find it wherever they need to. This article is titled, Notes on Faith. Jesus is on the main line, and so is your therapist. By Reverends Alicia Lola Jones and Calvin Taylor Skinner. The Grio, May 28th. 2023. The next article is titled, Congressional Black Caucus Will Soon Embark on Nationwide Tour to Protect Black Americans' Fundamental Rights, by Ashley Banks, The Griot, May 27, 2023. The Congressional Black Caucus Institute, CBCI, has launched a nationwide summer tour aimed at preserving fundamental rights for Black Americans. This summer, Black congressional members will meet with city leaders and constituents to address how Black Americans can respond to recent attacks on democracy, such as the banning of critical race theory and laws restricting voters' rights. CBC Chairman Stephen Horsford, H-O-R-S-F-O-R-D, Democrat, Nevada, said during a press conference. What we're finding is a lot of anti-Blackness rhetoric, and that rhetoric is now leading to direct attacks on the very existence and survival of Black people in our communities, Horsford told the Grio. The nation is also seeing attacks by the Supreme Court to further undermine the fundamental rights that have been fought for by previous generations, specifically around voting rights, affirmative action, and other protections under federal law against discrimination and racism, he added. Horsford told the Grio he wants this program to show our, our constituents what the fight is about, taking the fight directly to the people, and ensuring they're part of the response. Members of the Congressional Black Caucus We'll also partner with leaders of Divine Nine organizations, civil rights groups, HBCUs, others to educate voters on what may happen if the Supreme Court 
overturns key voting rights and affirmative action cases. Speaking with reporters, Horsford stated, it's important that we use this opportunity to speak truth to power, to save our democracy and to make sure all of our voices and the voices of constituents are heard in the coming weeks. The Democracy for the People Tour will host events in 10 cities this summer, including Las Vegas, Atlanta, Baltimore, Milwaukee, New Orleans, and Houston, as the Grio previously reported. The initiative will conclude in August and will commemorate the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. The chairman told reporters, the Congressional Black Caucus understands the moment that we are in, and we also understand the weight of the moment to not have these fundamental rights or freedoms eroded. We will not be silenced. The tour launch comes weeks after the CBC held the National Summit on Democracy and Race, which laid out efforts Black congressional members plan to take to ensure that Black Americans have access to equal opportunities. This article is titled, Congressional Black Caucus Will Soon Embark on Nationwide Tour to Protect Black Americans' Fundamental Rights by Ashley Banks, The Grio, May 27, 2023. The next article is titled, The Ghost of Mary Ellen Pleasant, The Voodoo Queen of San Francisco, written by Bilal Morris, News 1, April 10, 2023. America has a fascination with ghosts and haunted houses. On the corner of Octavia and Bush in San Francisco sits a small park filled with big lore. Being the city's smallest park, Mary Ellen Pleasant Memorial Park may seem insignificant to most people unfamiliar with its history. The park was named after one of the most powerful black women to ever live in America. Now, Mary Ellen Pleasant's spirit haunts the park that was built on her once bustling estate. In this episode of Black Folklore, we dive into the story of the ghost of Mary Ellen Pleasant, the voodoo queen of San Francisco. San Francisco, like many other American cities, is filled with tourists clamoring to indulge themselves in the ghost stories that help make the city unique. At Mary Ellen Pleasant Memorial Park, Mary Ellen's ghost is said to summon chills, frighten dogs, and sometimes even catapult nuts from her trees at tourists and onlookers, wanting a show. But the woman who was once described by San Francisco newspaper as a voodoo sorcerer, who was once seen eating a man's brains, was actually one of the richest, most powerful people in the city. Before 1900, Pleasant had amassed a fortune of $30 million, around $650 million now. But how did such a powerful woman die in poverty? This is America, and tragedy is something this country has a history in. Although Pleasant's origins are hard to pinpoint, the new Fillmore suggests that she was more than likely born a slave around 1814 in Georgia. She was later purchased and freed only to work as an indentured servant in Rhode Island and Nantucket, Massachusetts. There, she married an abolitionist who made a good living working as a carpenter. Although her situation was better than most blacks at the time, Pleasant was determined to help her people. 
she spent the next few years helping enslaved blacks escape the South on the Underground Railroad. In 1852, Pleasant decided to head west, fleeing persecution under the Fugitive Slave Act. The Fugitive Slave Act, enacted in 1793, was a pair of federal laws that allowed for the capture and return of runaway enslaved people within the territory of the United States. The new gold rush enticed her, and she decided to move to San Francisco with plans of expanding the Underground Railroad out west. Being able to pass as a white woman, Pleasant used this to her advantage. She had inherited a hefty sum of money from her first husband, and San Francisco was the perfect place to invest. She opened laundries, dairies, and exclusive restaurants to serve the gold miners and politicians, mostly men. Pleasant was then able to partner with a white banker named Thomas Bell, expanding her business into a mini empire. Soon, Pleasant was a household name in San Francisco. Even the most powerful elites acknowledged her as a successful businesswoman. But Pleasant had a hidden agenda. Her plan was to use her newfound power and status to leverage better opportunities for black people. Pleasant never hid her identity from the black residents of San Francisco. They too kept her race a secret, and in turn, she used her status to secure housing, jobs, and loans for the city's black residents. She also funded legal battles and fought for the city's elites to hire black faces. Pleasant would soon be known as Black City Hall by her peers. Pleasant would never be able to completely let go of her abolitionist roots, and in 1857, she left San Francisco for two years to help famed abolitionist John Brown kickstart the Civil War with the Harper's Ferry Revolt. When John Brown was executed, a note was found in his pocket from Pleasant. She had donated $30,000 to John Brown's fight. That's almost $1 million today. When Pleasant arrived back in San Francisco, she once again partnered with Thomas Bell to build an extravagant mansion on the corner of Octavia and Bush. But word spread of Pleasant's activism with John Brown, which amplified the rumors that she may also be black. These revelations infuriated local white elites. The gossip began to affect her business, some calling her new mansion a brothel. City newspapers began to print rumors of, of witchcraft and orgies happening at her estate. There was no way San Francisco's white establishment was going to allow a black woman to wield so much power, but Pleasant continued to fight them. On the post-Civil War census, she finally identified herself as black and began litigating for equality. In 1866, she filed two lawsuits successfully attacking racial discrimination after she was removed from a San Francisco streetcar because she was black. She won her case in the Supreme Court, which led to the outlawing of segregation on San Francisco's public conveyance. This success only amplified the nasty, despicable rumors that were being spread about Pleasant. In 1883, she became embroiled in the trial of Nevada Senator William Sharon, S-H-A-R-O-N, who was accused of seducing and abandoning young women. Lawyers in the case claimed Pleasant used dark forces to manipulate a young woman into seducing 
a young man. Instead of denouncing the rumors, she fed into their fears by walking into court with a voodoo doll and claiming she would use it to bring death upon Sharon. Ironically, he did die during the trial. This made Pleasant's status as the voodoo queen larger than life. Sadly, this would be the beginning of the end for Pleasant. Rumors compounded and more scandals followed. In 1899, her business partner, Thomas Dell, was found dead in Pleasant's mansion. Bell's widow teamed up with the San Francisco Chronicle to print a full-page smear piece on Pleasant titled The Queen of Voodoos, where they called her a monster, accusing her of witchcraft and the murder of Thomas Bell. Pleasant was demonized for the rest of her life. She died in 1904 in her 90s. Before she died, she wrote three autobiographies. In 1928, Pleasant's mansion was knocked down, leaving only the eucalyptus trees she planted before she died. In 1974, the city of San Francisco designated the trees that Pleasant had planted as a structure of merit, naming the space Mary Ellen Pleasant Memorial Park. Whether or not the voodoo queen San Francisco still roams the park today is a mystery. But what isn't is the legacy of Mary Ellen Pleasant. Her story has so many parallels to today's society. From racism to fake news, Mary Ellen Pleasant saw it all and persevered. Her story deserves to be told as much as any black story from American history. A special segment titled Ghost of Mary Ellen Pleasant the Voodoo Queen of San Francisco, written by Bilal G. Morris, News 1, April 10th, 2023. That's all the time we have for the African American Hour. My name is Rosemary Ankwe. Thanks for joining me.